So, I just watched uh, Josh Scorcher's, um, a.k.a. Firebrand of FOB Equestria, but on his other channel, Josh Scorcher channel. I just watched his uh, top ten gruesome Disney deaths. Well, basically, he looked at very similar deaths that people have talked about, but also deaths that they didn't talk about. Because mostly everybody talks about the villain, the Disney villain deaths, but not the deaths that happened to other characters and stuff. And he included some entries in there that were surprising, but he did it because of the studios that are technically owned by Disney, like Touchstone and Miramax and all that. But, here's the thing though. He pointed out three things that happened. Pointed out two, three things that happened um, in, in this countdown. Two within the same um, entry, if you will. Now, the first one, he kind of joked about because he said, oh, Oliver and company not just had this gruesome death of Sykes, uh, of the villain Sykes and his, you know, uh, dogs and everything. He didn't just have that gruesome de death and the implications of, you know, what happens afterwards and stuff. But he also said that there was another bad thing that happened. And, of course, he basically, as a joke, but I guess in his opinion, it's kind of the stupidest things, worst things that they could have done, if not gruesome things, is you have Georgette, you know, scene where she's kind of flupping up her, you know, upper region, if you will, her chest area. She's fluffing up, poofing it up, if you will. And basically, you know, the camera went back to Josh, and Josh is like, you know, and people wonder why, you know, oh, something like, Josh says something along the lines of, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if people came furries after this. And this is coming from a guy that's a brony, which is technically tied to furries, if you catch my drift. But, but, that wasn't the only thing. Another gruesome death he came up with for his entry was from the Disney uh, theatrical remake of the original My Favorite Martian, which was a Christopher Lloyd film, along with Jeff Bridges. And I had a feeling he was going to go with this. Once he brought up, once he brought up, uh, basically, uh, My Favorite Martian, you know, as a you know, an entry on the list, I said he's. I think I know what he's talking about. I think I know what scene he's talking about. And it was a scene where the wife of Jeff Bridges' character takes this Vioxx Seven uh, gum because all the other gums will turn you into a different species of alien and all that, but this one will turn you into an alien that does a lot more. It's basically like a drug that, if you can t constantly try to take it you might lose yourself to whatever you become. And basically, to save Jeff and Christopher, she, Jeff Bridges' wife in the film, takes the gum and becomes this alien version of herself where she you know, basically takes out, kills both of the thugs, um, or the uh, bad guys, if you will, by throwing one into... Uh, a, one, by throwing one into a, uh, a wall of monitors where he gets electrocuted and then eats another one. Yeah, in her alien form, she corners the other guy and she eats him. But what Josh took away from this is he brings up the fact that after she does that, has a little burp and goes, excuse me, kind of, like, excuse me, kind of deal, very cartoonish-wise. You know, she spits it out and she changes back because that's the one thing that will change you back. When you take the gum out, out and everything, it changes you back to your normal self. And he points out that, wait a minute, that guy 
technically that she ate is still in her and she's changing back. What the hell? And he points out that, you know, her stomach should be more bloated, right? Like maybe you should see the guy pressing out like, get me out of here, gonna deal, right? But then he comes to the conclusion that, oh my God, does this guy get, you know, digested quickly? Like, was this a quick digestion? Which is, of course, probably one of the side effects of taking the Vioxx 7 uh, gum. You know, like, is this one of the side effects that when you eat a guy, you know, as the alien you become, that they get a quick digestion? Who knows? I mean, heck, she even, I mean, one thing he didn't talk about or point out is she kind of even kids around with Jeff a, a little bit, Jeff Bridges' character, when he kind of comments on it and everything, she kind of holds the gum and it's like, oh, maybe we could do it again kind of deal. Like, she's still out of it and everything because of the effects of the gum. Because, as Lloyd points out in the film, it's like a drug. But, anyway, Josh, at the end of this, brought up the fact that three fetishes, if you will, fan-favorite fetishes were utilized, you know, in this, you know, by Disney with some of the films. The furry part with Georgette, which I guess he put there as a joke, but still something, but basically still something he felt was disturbing. You know, when she poofs up, like I said, her upper region. And then he brought up, you know, the transformation and the vor in this, you know, that came with this entry. And his thought was, Disney's testing us. Now, I know sometimes these countdowns and these editorials are, you know, uh, done for parody reasons. They're done as secure, the, what's that word? I'm trying to pronounce it. Um, uh, satire reasons, securial re satire reasons. We'll, put it, we'll go with that. Um, um, we, we know that sometimes people like Josh and Silver Quill and, and all of them would do these kind of things for the parody you know, uh, satire reasons and everything, you know, so they shouldn't be taken seriously. But Josh basically saying that at the end, hmm, Disney is testing us kind of deal. Um, I could probably say in a way it's not just secure, satirical. That's the word I'm looking for, satirical, if you will, um, in what he said. And when he said that, I should say. But I think also it's kind of legit because... If Disney is willing to, uh, in some people's perception, like, you know, Josh's, even a satir satir satirical uh, per perception, you know, if Disney's willing to use these three kind of fetishes in their films, even, even if it was unintentional or part of the story, you know, honestly, you have, honestly, you wonder what other studios would do, do the same thing. And let's be honest, let's be honest, okay? Even if this was a satirical kind of um, a take by Josh and everything, let, let's be honest. These studios like Disney, like Warner Brothers, like Paramount, Universal, Lion Gates, all of them, Amazon, Netflix, you, the list could go on. These studios know about these fetishes. Even the anime and manga studios in Japan and across the world know about these fetishes. They're not dumb. They're not dumb about it. Which is why we get to certain scenes, like with Japan and their anime and manga, and even some of the live-action films, you know, why you get certain scenes of characters being vored, being vored if you will, v you know, vored, or being ubed, unbirthed, or being turned into something other than human. Whether it's a 
anthropomorphic animal or alien in the case of something like Avatar or an inanimate object and everything. You know, it, it, it's no... You know, these studios are not clueless to any of that. They know there's an audience, there's a general to it. And they know there are people out there that actually incorporate these tropes, these fetishes, if you will, um, into the stories, into their imagery of art or webcomics. I mean, one person that doesn't go too far but does rely on a lot of these tropes and fetishes is Mr. Internet Man with his Demonica Mystic Makeover series. He's got characters in there, basically of Veronica who becomes Demonica and Rebecca who becomes Exotica, that basically, you know, when they become these alter egos, these mischievous demon elves, can turn into anything or anyone they want. They can melt down into a puddle of goop and be like that for a while. They can fuse together with each other or fuse with other uh, magical entities or people or characters or creatures. You know, they can do all that. And Mr. Internet Man incorporates a lot of these fetishes in there. A lot of these tropes in there. You know, again, not to an extent that gets too extreme and even uncomfortable for him, but he kind of gets to that point. He kind of gets close to that point, in, in my opinion. And others like Joven16, Trouble TRO, you know, they do the same thing. You know, they, they, go that, they go that far and all that. And people use it in the stories as well. They use it in those stories as well. Not just for uh, reasons that are villainous or anything. Sometimes they use it for sexual interaction or intercourse between a man and a woman in the story or, or a woman and a woman in the story. All because of the all because of the imaginative creativeness that comes from it. And like I said, studios obviously are very aware of that. Not just here in North America, US, Canada and Mexico, no. You know, studios across the world. Like I said, Japan with their anime and manga studios. You know, studios in Europe, Russia, um, Brazil, China, you name it, Korea. Either one of the Koreas, if you will. Uh, mostly South Korea, I should say. Uh, but they, they're well aware. They are very well aware. Which is why they add these things in there. They add these little moments in there. Like with my favorite Martian if you will, like the little thing that, you know, Josh satirically satirically, uh, joked about with Georgette. You know, they add these things in there because they know there's an audience. They know there is an audience that wants to see it, that enjoys it. I mean, why do you think some of these other studios of the more adult nature are starting to kind of get in that groove themselves? Because they know there's an audience. They know there is a demographic that wants to see this become reality. And honestly, you know, they have all the right to want to basically incorporate that into their, into their stories or into the films. Because, you know, they have the money to do so. You know, to pay the actors, pay the people doing the effects and whatever. You know, then they have the right, in my opinion, to go all out, to go as crazy as they want. So, you know, for Disney, you know, to be someone that, as Josh satirically, you know, pointed out, um, incorporated three of these in the count, incorporated three of these uh, tropes, fetishes, you know, uh, in the films, especially the films that he talked about in his countdown. Again, it's not, 
it's not really a surprise to to see that because Warner Brothers has done it with them with a lot with plenty of their films, Universal as well, Amazon Studios, Netflix, Uni, uh, Lion Gates, Paramount. They've all incorporated it. We just don't see it as we just don't see it utilized as much as it possibly could be. But again, that's where you have all these independent studios and these you know adult studios coming into play that are now incorporating the um you know the effects that they could afford or at least kind of you know uh take you know kind of integrate into their stories in their films animated or live action because they know there's an audience out there there is a demographic believe it or not out there that likes this kind of stuff because they know that legitimately it could never happen in real life so why not use that imaginative creativity to make it happen on film or in a story again this is why you look at fan fiction you look at you know um, artistic work or web comics or whatever and they go this route they take this route and they don't look back you know they don't look back whatsoever because they know that again People are out there that would actually pay to see this occur. There's people that actually would pay to see this happen. I mean, there is somebody on Patreon that does animations, SFM animations, using some of these uh, tropes and fetishes. You know, and he does it with Sonic-styled inspired characters. And why? Because he knows there's an audience out there that likes that stuff. He does. Or they, I should say, not he, but they. They know there's an audience out there that likes that stuff. But, you know, to me, you know, even satirically, you know, what Josh pointed out, it's, I don't think it's any secret to these studios that they know, that they know the existence of these tropes, fetishes, you know, that have demographics, have fans behind them and stuff. So it's, it's you know, to, to hear Josh even bring that up in his video, I mean, we know that they have a a member of the community called Aeon of Dreams that's into the war stuff. So, you know, it's not it's not surprising for him to for someone like Josh that is friends with Aeon of Dreams to you know bring that up, but you know satirically or not, and say Disney is testing this because Disney, like I said, along with all the other studios, Warner Brothers, Universal, everybody that I've mentioned, they know about this, not just here in the North American region. But across the globe, they know about it. And it's no secret to them. Which is why they incorporate, in the, incorporate it when they can into the stories. And that's why also you have fans out there that if they can afford to do it, they will do animations or live actions of it. Or they will write about it. Or they'll do artistic web comics and stuff about it. Because they know there's an audience out there. And the adult independent studios or established adult studios that are starting to slowly get into it, and I know they are, they can't deny it, you know, because the technology is advancing every day, they know they know there's an audience out there for it. So it, you know, for you know these three tropes, satirically to be pointed out by Josh as Disney's testing us. It's not Disney testing us because you know it's not Disney testing us. It's the fact that Disney and all these other studios I've mentioned know already about these fetishes and tropes, and that's why they incorporate them, even very subtly, if you will. But what do you guys think? Do you think, you know, satirically, Josh just, you know, pointed that out because it's kind of weird that a studio like Disney would, you know, have that kind of in, in the films? Or do you think maybe satirically he also 
Well, satirically, not only did he bring that up, but do you think also maybe he's trying to acknowledge that you know, maybe Disney and other studios know about this? Because I'll be honest, in my opinion, they do. But let me know what your thoughts are. Comment below, live chat during the premiere, like the video, Super Chat Super Stickers are open. Well, actually, not Super Chat Super Stickers. I should, let me correct myself. Live chat is open. The Super Chat and Super Stickers will come uh, later on, hopefully by the end of the month. Uh, but yeah, live chat is open. Uh, you can support me over at patreon.com. So that's Roses, the $1, $3 tier. Possible $5 tier coming up for Q&A. We're still working on that. Also, check me out at my Teespring store for merchandise you can't get anywhere else except there. Got some new MLP-related merchandise there you might enjoy. Also, check me out at Vimo at BW Roses for content you can't get here on YouTube. Also, check me out at DeviantArt.com. So that's BVW1979. Check me out at Venmo. Support me there at Venmo at Brian-Walmer-2. Cash app at BW Roses 98 Also, check me out at BW Roses Discussions at all your favorite audio podcast platforms except for Pandora. Will you will get an audio version of this uh, down the line. But let me know what your guys' thoughts are. How you know? Do you think, satirically, Josh just pointed that out as a joke? Or do you think not only did he point it out satirically as a joke, but also maybe as, you know, fact that studios like Disney and Warners and all of them know about this, and which is why they incorporate it. Let me know down below in the comments and in the live chat, and I'll talk to you later.